welcome back to the Read Connected podcast. At various points in our lives, we reflect on ourselves and consider some sort of change that seems necessary or important at any given point in one's life. In this episode, Gerald and I will bring in various concepts and ideas that are involved with making personal changes. To expand upon some of what we discussed in the episode about sports psychology, we hope to also circle back to the idea of focusing on the process rather than just the goal. This episode will be the last of our episodes for season one, and we hope that it also conjures some ideas, points to ponder, or other things that you can reflect upon in your own life based on what we've learned so far together that might be helpful as you move forward in your own personal journey. During season two, we have a lot of great episodes and guests that are lined up, and we're excited to bring them all back to you in a few months' time. But without further ado, let's get started. So, Jared, at the time of this recording, it is January 2023, and we're coming out of the holiday season where a lot of people have been feeling a lot of feels, as we talked about in our last episode, and maybe have also been feeling a little off, whether it's because of some kind of health-related issue or maybe in overindulging a bit during the holidays, or just really thinking about what makes sense moving forward into this calendar year. And I, I wanted us to discuss a little bit more about what does it take to actually make a change in one's life? Yeah, change is hard and inevitable in some ways in life. So try not to fight against it too much. But you know, why do people make changes in their life? It's a great question. I, I think it usually starts from some sort of spark. And that spark could be anything that just gets us to think about an aspect either about ourselves or about life as a whole. There's some aspect of life. It could be about fitness. It could be about career. It could be about relationships. It could be about just the philosophy of how you're living your life, your habits. And and after that spark, I think what happens is there's some sort of feedback that the person gets about themselves in relation to this aspect of life for themselves. And that feedback is usually what starts to get them thinking like, hmm, should I change? Should I make a change or not? Is it worth it? It's kind of what they call the contemplative stage. They go from not really thinking too much about the change to starting to consider and contemplate the possibilities and the pros and cons. And that feedback is, it could be anything. It could be, hey, you realize that you know, something in a relationship is not going well and you feel like it could get better in some way or maybe your performance is going down in some aspect of your life and maybe you're getting burnt out a little bit or maybe your doctor says that you know your health needs more tending to in some way there's something so beautiful about this idea of self-awareness to be able to take a pause to be able to self-reflect and notice what is and isn't working in our lives it gives us a sense of agency as humans that sometimes we don't always feel like we have right to be able to actually zoom out and say okay, these are all the different aspects and areas of my life. This is how they are or aren't working with each other. And sometimes we can have all the best of intentions, have some really great positive habits in place, and still something feels off. So even though I'm not a big proponent of New Year's resolutions, because a lot of the statistics out there show that those don't really stick and we don't usually follow through on them. But I am a big fan of being able to take a pause and take some kind of inventory of our lives to be able to say, how is this working? 
am I showing up and really living my life in a way that feels in line with my values? Am I working towards goals that are meaningful and purposeful for me? What do I have control over that maybe I can shift or change or reach out for assistance to be able to work towards that? In therapy, that's a big part of the process. You know, I know we talked about in our last episode that people might come in saying, hey, help me to feel better. That's my goal versus the process of really getting to learn more about yourself to really understand what is getting in the way, what has been working. And again, what do we have control over making shifts and changes to feel and do better? I'm wondering, Jerry, you talked about this spark and Sometimes people feel like there has to be a right time to make a change. The spark has to be perfectly timed. And I always say there's no time that's better than the present moment. You can start at any given time. This new calendar year is just a milestone, a a signpost that might be helpful for some people, but really there's no specific or perfect time to get started on anything ever. No. And chances are you probably have already done something relative to this change, you just didn't realize it. Maybe you can reflect back and say, hey, I actually have thought about that before. Like, hey, something in this aspect of my life, I I have considered it. I just have to realize that I've been thinking about it. And these feelings that I'm having are probably related to it. Let me get in touch with those feelings. So there's probably a lot that your brain has been processing about this change that you just need a space and therapy. Like therapy is a great place to access that I allow that to come out because the chances are on some level, you probably have been really thinking about this and maybe may not be conscious completely, but maybe you're trying to push it away. Now, change is hard. Change is scary. So people tend to push it away and suppress the feelings and thoughts that go along with the change. That doesn't mean we're not processing the idea of it, you know, somewhere on some level. And sometimes that's the impetus for the change, right? I appreciate that you're saying in therapy, it's a good opportunity to do that. But I also want to be mindful that not everybody feels comfortable entering a therapeutic relationship. Not everybody maybe feels like they're ready for it, or maybe they don't have the resources to access or find the right fit in a mental health counselor to be able to go through that process. I want to recognize and acknowledge that, but also talk about the other side of it, that sometimes when we go into friendships and conversations with people in our communities and our lives about things we want to change, they might actually start to impart their own perspective or their own values on what we're trying to do for ourselves. So it's a really important caution to be mindful of what and how you share. In therapy, I think it's a beautiful opportunity to have kind of a neutral conversation where the expectation isn't that somebody's not going to tell you what they think you should do versus like what really you're figuring out with this professional guiding you through that process. And I think that's a really important thing that doesn't get talked about that much. We might have really amazing relationships with people in our lives and to talk through and process things with them is really one of the most beautiful aspects of having friendships and relationships and loved ones in our lives that we can trust and feel comfortable talking about it. But we also want to be respectful that everybody has their own experiences, their own set of things and stuff that they bring with them into conversations. And, you know, I say this for both sides of a conversation like this, where the listener really needs to be mindful of not putting themselves in the shoes of the person going through this process and the person going through the process can also respect and put boundaries around their own experience and their own process the way it makes sense for them. 
Mm -hmm, Definitely. And look, John Wooden has a quote. He's one of the best coaches ever historically for basketball in college. And he had a really nice quote. He said, look, what's right is more important than who's right. And so when you're engaging in a conversation about change, both parties could just be open to exploring what makes the most sense and be open to it. Because maybe one person has three quarters of the idea, and then maybe you have a quarter of the idea. You never know what parts are going to come together to make the whole that makes the most sense. And when you shut down and you're like, oh no, only my ideas matter on either side, you know, it takes away from the creativity that goes along with finding a path forward. And I have to tell you, I'll go back to therapy because I do it every day, but the path forward sometimes is not clear and we have to be okay with that. But we have to be open, I think, at least to the process of figuring out what it might be. And it could take time. It could take conversations. It could take journaling. It could take learning about something else. But, you know, that's a process. Yeah. Two things you just said really resonated with me. I just came off of teaching a webinar to educators in the field about what I talk about all the time, executive function, universal design for learning, social emotional learning. And I shared with them the fact that sometimes when we think we have all the best ideas that's going to work best for students because we know them so well, we know what they need to learn so well. When we open up the platform for them to share what they're learning and how they're doing things, they often have more wisdom to share than we could ever imagine. So being able to embrace variability and be open to other opinions is so important as long as we're realizing that it's just perspective. You know, we take it for what it is instead of feeling as though what somebody else says needs to be what you do or how you think or how you feel. So the other piece too is what you said about things not always being super clear. Sometimes that creates more anxiety as you're trying to figure out what the path forward is. And sometimes the answer is sitting with the discomfort because sometimes that can give us a lesson in and of itself that we're constantly trying to shift and shape and avoid the things that are uncomfortable for us. But really sometimes in those moments where things aren't feeling great is where a point of change could be. Like I said in the last episode, sometimes the greatest learning opportunities come from that challenge that doesn't feel comfortable and might be unpleasant. You're right, Lex. Expanding ourselves as a person and our consciousness is actually something that requires us to be courageous and to step into challenges and uncertainty and to embrace that because if we kind of do the same thing over and over every day, we constrict ourselves in what we're experiencing, how we think, how we feel, what we're accomplishing, what we're doing. And so Chikse Mahai, who wrote the book Flow, many people who know that book may think it's a book simply about optimal experiences in life where you're just in the moment and feeling fully engaged in what you're doing. But there's actually a philosophy behind the book from what I understand reading it. His idea is that when you go through life, as we go through life at each stage, our consciousness expands in different ways by going through challenges, by taking different perspectives, by realizing what we're capable of, by learning what is out there in life. And that takes a bit of courage to break out of our comfort zone a bit and to step into the uncertainty and adjust to it. And, you know, adjustments take time. It's going to feel uncomfortable, but that's a normal thing. We can have more of a conversation about how to make it feel less frightening, but that's an important idea that you brought up. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I think especially a lot of young people or even adults sometimes feel like not knowing something or feeling like something's new or overly challenging is not worth the effort or they might get embarrassed where other emotions come up that shut them down. I was just saying recently that motivation and engagement, especially in learning, is really hard to teach, but we really have to help set up these optimal 
experiences where there's an appropriate level of challenge and an appropriate level of support to be able to help you get through those moments, to get into that flow where time and space and all the other distractions sometimes melt away so that you can just be in your quote unquote flow. And the work in the book by the late great Dr. Chikset Mahai, who inspired so many others to do similar work is really based on a lot of research where he checked in with individuals in their moment to moment experiences and kind of collected information on what was happening for them. How challenged were they? How distracted were they? What were other factors that are going on? And and in my work around executive function and learning, creating that awareness for what you're experiencing in a moment is really the precursor to making any great change, right? You have to notice what's happening. And I talk about this a lot in terms of meditation, mindfulness, and breathing awareness, because sometimes it's really hard to just sit and do nothing because our brains are constantly going. But if we can't feel what it feels like to just shut down, how are we going to notice what's happening when we're engaged in a moment? How do we actually try to recreate the opportunities and the environment and the conditions that allow for us to perform our best? So let's go backwards a little bit. How do you start the process of setting a goal to make a change in your life? And has been discussed, it's got to be meaningful to you. And what's meaningful to us is sometimes not completely clear, right? You may say, oh, you know, what's meaningful to me is playing video games all the time. Fair enough. Maybe you get some satisfaction from that and you bond with your friends and so forth. But if you're playing video games all day long and you're not moving your body and you're not doing other things that maybe you just don't know could be fulfilling and enjoyable and expansive to you, maybe you don't really know what is meaningful to you, what you actually want. Maybe what you want is deep down inside. You got to explore that a little bit. So There's other examples I can share, but the idea here is that sometimes people don't know exactly what they want because they're just kind of conditioned to go through life almost like on automation. It's kind of just an automatic thing that you're just doing. And and especially now with technology, right? There are people creating technology. They're finding ways to tap into that so that we are automated. We're not thinking about what we really want. We're just kind of following the next thing that's going to give us that dopamine hit, as I say. So we have to reflect on what we actually want and why we want it. And that requires us to get that spark, think about other aspects of our life or other things that we may want to pursue in our life. And that takes time to think about and have conversations about. I would say that you also need to add in a point of pause before that spark arrives to really fully ignite the spark. Maybe we need to actually pause in whatever's happening, whatever's going on in our worlds, because things can just be all encompassing and overwhelming because our society is programmed to just go and go and go. But if we can press pause to find that spark, whatever it might be. It might be the smallest habit and change. It might just be that you want to drink more water or move your body more frequently. Do little tiny things that actually can make a world of difference. I frequently tell new clients and people I'm talking to about my work that my work is not clinical. I'm not a clinical psychologist, but there are therapeutic benefits to gaining confidence when you can change habits and learn about how you learn best. And oftentimes it could be a small tweak or a shift in your approach, which all of a sudden opens up other pathways and other opportunities that you might not have even known existed, which is really amazing. Totally, Lex. Life is kind of like an experiment and you got to play the experiment out, right? If you don't know what it's like to get into an exercise routine for your mental health, 
maybe you got to do it and actually see and then realize, wow, that I actually do feel better when I exercise. You don't know until you do it. You don't really trust and believe it until you do it. So play the experiment out. Have some trust in this process of exploration and trying different things and see what you think. We'll talk more about getting over those negative thoughts and beliefs and those emotions that prevent us from going through the experiment. But you got to let the experiment play out because otherwise you don't really know if you really want it or not. You may end up loving exercise once you realize the benefits from having the experience of it. Yeah. And it's interesting, especially individuals who have a label of ADHD or executive function challenges, oftentimes their level of enjoyment around exercise or a challenge needs to be so extreme that sometimes the mundane feels just totally unreachable, right? It's so interesting because oftentimes it's the opposite for a lot of the people in their worlds. That just doesn't make sense, but it's the reality. And I always say we want to try to work with that instead of work against it, because some of those extreme performance moments can also create some incredible things that happen that we could have never imagined. So sometimes those creative or intense moments of these bursts of energy or expression could be incredible. And oftentimes I will say that's what we see in an athlete on a court or a field or in their flow, where they're able to put together these incredible moments. But behind those huge moments, sometimes is a lot of practice, right? A lot of that mundane time of sharpening your skills, improving your approach, smoothing out some of the routines that you're doing to make them feel more automatic. There's a lot that we don't always see when we think about these big moments, both in athletics and academics, and I would argue even music and performance on any level, that there's always a lot that goes into it that sometimes gets missed and lost. And for individuals who have a hard time with executive function skills, or maybe they're still developing and improving those skills, sometimes they want to skip just to that moment. (laughs) But it's so important to focus on the process. Yeah, I think you said in an earlier episode, when people you're working with have difficulties with their executive function, and whether it's planning, prioritizing, time management, organization, self-regulation, and so forth, that they may resist the idea that there's something different they can do. Like, oh, no, I'm going to do things my way. That's just what I do. And I don't I'm not want to try that new strategy or that new idea. Well, let's go back to the idea that your life is an experiment. You got to try it first. And so part of change is really, this is probably for older people, younger people, it could be difficult, but your ego can get in the way very easily. But it's not only ego, it's comfort zone, it's anxiety about trying something new. How many times have you worked with someone, Lex, where they're trying to juggle a million things in their head and they don't write anything down? There's no calendar, there's no task list. And I say the same thing you probably say is like, your brain can't do that. You're doing it because you're probably maybe a little bit better than the norm at doing it and juggling things in your head, but it's creating a ton of stress on your brain that's unnecessary stress. And it's unnecessary to be able to have that stress because you can just put some stuff on paper or on a document or on a calendar and they get out of your head and you're going to be still remember it, but it's going to take that unnecessary stress out. And until they do it, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you were right about that. But it's like, I don't have to be right. It's about figuring out what works, like your point, like John Wooden said, it doesn't matter who's right, it's what's right. And it's that cognitive load, right? I always joke and say it's like having a million tabs open on your computer. It's going to slow your computer down. You might still be able to do the things you need to do, but it's going to slow things down. 
And, you know, if I had a nickel for every person and every time I heard that, I would have a lot of nickels. But my point is, is it happens all too frequently. And people who are able to do things rather quickly or are able to, quote unquote, juggle a lot of things at the same time, sometimes feels like it's a burden to sit and write things down, make a plan. But then once they start to do it, I hear so often, and I could have countless students and clients I work with share this, that it opened up a whole another realm for them. I say it creates additional space to be able to use your resources and energy in different ways. And it also doesn't bog you down and get you stuck in this perseverative space of like, what do I have to do? Do I have everything I need? When do I need to get it done by? Because our brains in the background are constantly doing this, whether you're avoiding by doing something enjoyable, like sitting in front of a video game for hours or shooting hoops or running plays or whatever you're doing, that's still working in the background. It never really shuts off until you've addressed it. But a lot of people have designed these really great coping mechanisms that might not be helping, but they're getting them through the moment so they don't think they have to do the thing because they've been successful enough. But I will say in any aspect of life, when the demands get higher, it's going to create more stress and it's going to tax your systems that might have not been working at the level that they might be able to work at if you pay attention to what strategies and supports are most helpful. And, and to be quite honest, there's different ways of doing things. Sometimes people need to do them by themselves. Sometimes they need to do them with others. The support of what works best for you in a given context at a given point in time will transform an experience, which is so powerful. But for some reason, in our human nature, we tend to go back to what we are just so used to doing. We revert back to those old habits or that comfort zone rather than thinking about what other options do I have. And and I will tell you, and I describe this to people every single day, that that's an executive function skill, right? That's this cognitive flexibility to say to yourself, okay, wait, there's another option. There's another way of doing this. So for me, for exercising, like I need somebody to support me because I find myself in a flow often where I just dive deep and there's really not a delineation between the work I'm doing, my personal life, the things I enjoy, like all of it melds together sometimes. And I just am in it, which is a beautiful thing when that happens. But sometimes it also is at the expense of other areas of my life. So I need somebody like my meditation teacher or you to say, hey, look, let's do this thing together. So you do it because I know it's important to you. But again, going back to my original point from earlier, I need to ask for that. Otherwise, it's going to be invalidating or I might be defensive if somebody says, hey, you have to do this. (laughs) But if you have a conversation, you can communicate and say, hey, this is really helpful for me when I do it with you, when we have a plan when I have a designated time to do this thing, like meditate or exercise or prepare food, that can become a social experience too for those who benefit from that. And I'm, I'm one of those people. I really need to batch things together. There's a social connection. There's different pieces of that process that helps you to be more in it. And I think, again, that's part of the investigation, what works well for you. And then there's some other days where I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to like exercise, get it done and move on to the next thing that I need to do or just be present in that moment without being distracted by other impacts that could interfere with what I'm doing. But it's it's all about investigating, recognizing what's helpful, what's not helpful, being flexible enough to realize that there's other ways of doing things 
being open to listening to other perspectives to see if there's even like a grain of something that might resonate with you or add on to what you're doing or give you the motivation to make a change. There's so many different ways to think about this, but it's my hope that listeners to this episode will take that pause do that reflection and consider what's really helpful for them. And I'll, I'll put a couple resources that I've created about habit formation up on the show notes on the website, because there are some tried and true methods that are empirically based that we know are helpful. Really assessing your resources, creating and establishing some kind of routine, even for people who resist routine. Oftentimes that's exactly what they need, but you have to be aware of that and recognize it for yourself. And most importantly, when we talk about exercise, sleep goes hand in hand with exercise, taking care of our bodies and taking care of our minds. There's such a deep mind-body connection. And Jer, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about Dr. John Rady and his colleagues' work around the mind-body connection, because there's so much involved there. And for the educators listening, I think this is such an important aspect of things that need to happen more in a learning environment, that we, we shouldn't just have students sitting compliant in a seat going through the motions to get through tasks, to get through their day. There is so much importance and value in movement, not only for the thinking brain or the physical body, but also for your mental health too. Yeah, movement can come in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be something that the person doesn't like. So, I mean, nowadays we're sitting behind a computer all day, every day. Is that normal? Last episode I mentioned, we normalize a lot of things that probably are not healthy for us and it just becomes part of our day to day. And we normalize it to the point where it's like, we don't even think twice about it. Find a spark, get feedback and start thinking to yourself, wait, is this good for me? To what degree? And try not to think about things so dichotomously, like it is good for me, it's not good for me. It could be somewhere in the middle and it could depend on the context too. Like, okay, yeah, you need to sit on the computer. It's part of your job. You'll get fired if you don't. But that doesn't mean that there could be more ways you can integrate physical movement. That's important. Physical movement is something that our species have been doing forever. And so I'm not too sure that we should experiment with changing that right now and assume that everything is going to be just fine. Because we're sitting in front of a computer or a screen or a video game for hours on it, or even in front of a book sometimes, right? I'm not sure how this experiment's going to wind up, but I think we should think critically about that and, and realize that our life personally, you can only control yourself. You can't really control other people, but maybe I should think about my own experiment because I have control over the decisions I can make as much as I can. We don't have control over everything in our lives, but start to think about ways that you can be creative to figure out how you take charge of your experiment of your life and realize that some things may not be as good for you as you're made to believe. One of the things I love about you and your approach with your patients, though you're not a medical doctor, you often will quote unquote prescribe exercise, movement, reflection to a lot of the clients and patients you work with. And I think that's so valuable to realize that sometimes the way we move our body, sometimes the things we put in our body, the things we consume through media can all impact our psyche on so many different levels. Absolutely. It changes the context too. If I'm in one room all day, I only have one context where my thoughts and feelings can arise. And as we mentioned in the episode last time about emotions, context affects how we feel. So it's important. If we want to feel one thing over and over, we're probably going to just have to stay in the same context because it's going to be a routine, the same feelings and the same thoughts, just repeat, repeat, repeat. And so changing the context could change the way we think and feel just by nature of changing the context. Go out for a walk, 
You know, since you've got your dog, it's been a blessing for me in a lot of ways because I take the dog for a walk all the time. I get to talk to people, chat with people who, you know, they love the dog. We have a conversation. We see the same people over and over. It changes the context. And I just do it because I know it's good for me. I mean, I know it's good for the dog too, obviously. So change the context. I didn't have that before, but now that I have it, I'm like, the experiment's a good one. I love where this episode is going because it's just touching upon so much that we talked about throughout season one and going back again to that social anxiety episode and thinking about how do we push ourselves to not just get stuck in these perseverative moments that sometimes are debilitating, that don't allow for us to expand our horizons, expand our context to think about what else is possible. So yeah, you're right. Dr. Rafa has been doing a really nice job of helping us get out of our comfort zones, right? And getting away from our computer because you and I love the work that we do and it can blend into life very easily. But on the other end of things, anything that you love can sometimes become too much and we need to be mindful of that. And I think that comes back to this idea of change and really evaluating, you know, what does this serve for me right now? What is something that might serve me better? And again, I always say that goals and values can shift and change all the time, right? We want to hold on to our core values, the things that make us tick, the things that make us who we are, the things that help guide us in the direction for most of the decisions we make. But depending on the point of your life, your intention related to your values might be different, right? Our goals might be different. The things we do might be different. I am really lucky to be able to work with a teacher who is constantly helping me to remember all the different parts of myself that I love that sometimes aren't expressed as loudly or as big as I might want to. But that's okay because there's other purposes that come up that are impacting me and serving different roles at different points in time. But that's the power of reflection and reflection in combination with well-being and wellness and consideration of what we have control over, I think is the key in life in general. And really thinking about how do we find our purpose? I think we do that through self-awareness. And self-awareness with a little bit of agency and the right supports can help you to move mountains. Yeah, it's a gift that we have. As humans, we have the ability to reflect on ourselves, think about the past, think about the future. You know, your dog Rafa doesn't have that ability. He's just always in the moment, <laughs> which is a beautiful <laughs> thing for him too, right? I mean, sometimes we envy that. <laughs> you know what? It reminds me actually to be more in the moment because when I'm out there playing with him, it helps me to be more playful. And I think we all need a little bit more of that in our lives. If you don't have a Dr. Rafa Vishla, that's okay. But maybe just observing nature, watching animals in nature. If you're not into animals, watching athletes, right? When they're playing and they're in their flow and doing their thing or musicians or performers, find your thing and find those points of joy. I think that should be one of the biggest intentions that we have going into this new year. Going back to the main goal of this episode, I will go back to intentions that I'm sharing with my clients right now that I really want everybody to work to improve on their clarity. And clarity it has a lot of different functions and serves a lot of different meanings for different people. But clarity in your goals, clarity in your understanding of yourself and other people, just trying to find clarity for yourself in life to kind of see a clearer path for what makes sense and what's possible. And the other one, another C that I've been using is thinking about consistency. Can we pick one or two small things that we can aim to be more consistent with and see how we feel, how we show up 
when we do something consistently that we know is having a positive benefit on our life. It could be something as simple as checking our posture when we are in front of our computer. It could be as simple as just noticing whatever is happening around you or outside. It could be drinking more water, waking up five minutes earlier, not touching your phone the first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Little things that we could try to aim to be a little bit more consistent with. And really thinking about how connection, right? We couldn't end the season without talking about the power of connection. It's such a big part of the work we do. It's in the name of our organization that we've created. It's in the name of the podcast. Connection is often that thing that provides for us that spark, the feedback, and that motivation to keep going. And we can think about how, like I said in the last episode, our light can shine and connect with others which allows for it to shine even brighter. And in this world where there's so many different things happening that we don't have control over, seemingly dark and sometimes negative, we can go back to that light and find that source and find the people, the things, the animals that help us to brighten our lights a little bit stronger, a little bit more to help us get through that day and find that clearer path. So clarity, consistency, and connection. I think those are three really beautiful intentions to hold on to as we move into 2023 or whenever you're listening to be able to pick a point that makes sense for you to move forward to try to think about what makes sense is it a big change is it a little change is it a new habit is it undoing an old habit is it connecting with somebody that maybe you didn't even realize was accessible to you in your life We hope that this inspires you to be able to think a little bit differently about your world, your life, and what's possible. So we're really grateful to be wrapping up season one. And again, looking forward to season two. We will see and talk to you and listen and hear and be a part of your world again soon. Great season, Lex. Be well. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas and is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you're in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but is not intended to represent the opinions of those we work with or are affiliated with. The Reed Connected podcast is hosted by Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed, is produced by Lauren Biza, our communications and marketing coordinator is Colin Faley, and original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Read Connected podcast will be releasing a new episode every two weeks each season, so please subscribe for updates and notifications. And you can follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast and Twitter at Read Connected. R-E-I-D Connected. We're grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meantime, be curious, be open, be well. Thank you.